come back then to Daniel. And to begin with, I'll just read the first two verses, and then as we continue in the exposition, we will actually look at the whole of Daniel chapter 10. The Bible reads there, Daniel 10, uh, beginning with verse 1. And uh, when the sermon is finally put on the internet, please, media guys, start from here, okay? You can skip the in-house matters. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 1. The Bible reads there, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word, and understood the and had understanding of the vision. Basically, we have made a transition now. For quite a number of weeks, we have been looking at Daniel chapter 9 and studying this extraordinary prayer that Daniel gave as he understood from Jeremiah that God was about to restore the people of Israel back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem. And so he began to pray that God might indeed fulfill his promise. We saw that the emphasis there was really on confession of sin on behalf of Israel, and then towards the end, he spoke in terms of forgive, O Lord, and act on behalf of your people. We also saw that God used the angel Gabriel to then bring something of an answer to Daniel's prayers. We saw that from verse 20 to the end of the chapter. To begin with, angel Gabriel simply came and said to Daniel that there is a word that is being given to you. Verse 23, the second part. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And then from there, there was this summary that was clothed in what one would call apocalyptic language. And apocalyptic language is language about the future, but that is hidden in all kinds of picture languages and picture words that if you are not familiar with the rest of scripture, it would go right past you. And often this was used as God was revealing his will to his people who were under intense persecution. And therefore we have it in Daniel and also we have it in the book of Revelation. And so we saw in the midst of this that uh, there would be sort of weeks, but they were not really weeks. There were sort of 70 uh, of sevens and threes of sevens and, and all the rest of it. And in the midst of that, we saw towards the end, Christ's return, the Antichrist destroyed, and Jesus bringing all history to an end. Something of that 
seems to have been quite clear. In other words, it was definitely pointing far beyond Daniel, far beyond Israel, far into the future that you and I are also still anticipating. So that's what was captured in these words. We come then to this next section, and chapter 10, chapter 11, and part of chapter 12 is now really the end part. It's, it's that grand revelation that has been spoken about already in verse 23. Understand the vision. And that's really what Daniel is about to be given. Now, in, in a sense, it still has something in, it begins in chapter 11, by the way. It, it has something of an apocalyptic feel to it. But at the same time, it deals with some of the history that was very close. So instead of uh, creatures with seven horns or seven heads coming out of seas and mountains rising and going into the waters and things to that effect, you, you actually now have kings of nations that are known. Persia, the Medes, Greece, and so on. So it becomes a little easier to relate to. And yet even as we relate to that, uh, when we get there, you will see that there is still something of an apocalyptic touch to it. However, between where we are and this revelation in chapter 11, verse 2 onwards, there is this sort of introduction. We are being brought into the picture slowly. And uh, it begins with simply letting us know that there is a conflict. There is a serious conflict. And that conflict is one that we are caught up in. And that's what we see in um, verse, verse 1 um, when Daniel says, that um, in the third year of uh, Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, I hope by now you've noticed that every time we are about to be taken into a vision uh, or a dream, Daniel tells us exactly what time in history that happened. Remember what I said, Daniel is divided into two halves, chapter 1, chapter 6, and then chapter 7, or the world chapter 12. Very clean six chapters each. And if you go to chapter 7 and verse 1, this is what you read. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Okay, so we are in Babylon at this time, and it is the first year of not Nebuchadnezzar, but Belshazzar. Chapter 8. Verse 1, in the third year of the king of Belshazzar, rather the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me. So at first, 
it was first year and now it is third year of Belshazzar. If we then go to chapter 9 and verse 1, we read, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, and then we are told, by descent a mid. In other words, we are moving into the Medes and the Persians. Babylon is fading out of existence. However, we are told who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign. So the Chaldeans, their territory has... Chaldeans, by the way, are the Babylonians, just in case uh, you are getting confused. Who are the Chaldeans now? So they are being taken over by the Medes and the Persians. Okay, uh, chapter 9. Chapter 10, verse 1, where we are now, we read, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, it's often debated the relationship between Darius and Cyrus. And at the end of the day, it still hangs in the air. Sometimes it is suggested that Cyrus and Darius were actually one and the same person. One might be his actual name, and the other would be perhaps his office. Others think that Darius would have been in charge of the bigger area, and then Cyrus was in charge of a smaller area. But this continues in uh, the study of history. However, you cannot miss the fact that he is, Cyrus is being called king of not the Medes, but king of Persia. And basically, the Medes and the Persians were actually connected in due season and became one major empire. And that's why it is referred to as the Medes and the Persians often. Okay, so that's, you, you can't miss the fact that they, there is this movement that is taking, taking place. We are no longer during the Babylonian Empire. We have entered now the empire of the Medes and the Persians. The second thing I want you to note very quickly is how Daniel refers to a name that has not appeared in this book since chapter 5. And it is the name Belteshazzar. It's a name that he was given in chapter 1 and verse 7. So if we can just quickly go back to Daniel 1 and verse 7. Daniel 1 verse 7. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. So these are the new names that they were given in Babylon. And the last time that Daniel referred to himself in this way 
was in chapter 5. So let's just quickly go there, chapter 5 and verse 12. The Bible reads there. I'm trying to start somewhere where it makes sense. Let's begin with verse 11. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, is, these are words being spoken to Belshazzar, who's now king, taking over from Nebuchadnezzar. Um, in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, and listen to this, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. The whole of chapter 6, the whole of chapter 7, the whole of chapter 8, the whole of chapter 9, until chapter 10, this name is not used again, and after this, it's not used anymore. Why? Well, the Bible itself doesn't tell us, but we can surmise and put it this way, that Daniel is about to give us the final vision. He already has a reputation that precedes him. It's a reputation that was with him in Babylon when he interpreted a number of dreams. Daniel is now an old man. It is safe to say he's now in his 80s. A very old man. Many years have passed since he was given this name. Probably about 70 to 75 years have passed since he had been given this name. So what is happening here is that Daniel deliberately is introducing this next section, first of all, by writing in the second person. You will notice He's not in verse 2, that's when he says, in those days, I, Daniel. That's when he speaks in the first person. But in verse 1, he's speaking in the second person. That is referring to, in fact, it might even be the third person. Yeah, he's speaking in the third person. He's talking about this Daniel sitting over there. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. So he's using the third person here, who was named Belteshazzar. In other words, that same man who had done all those interpretations in Babylon, now an old man is receiving this vision for all of you. That's what this is about. And what was that vision? Well, two things are said about it. One is that the vision was true, and the second, it was about a great conflict. A great conflict. And it's really this 
aspect of true and about warfare that we must retain or capture as we go into the rest of this chapter, as we go into chapter 11, or the way into chapter 12. If we miss this, we've missed everything else in the last part. This reality of conflict. Daniel understood the message. That's what we are told at the end of verse 1. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Exactly what angel Gabriel had told him in verse 23. Go back to verse 23. Let's begin with verse 22. Verse 22. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. End of verse 23. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Daniel understood what was happening. There's a bit of history that might not be too obvious to us here, but let me give it to you. By the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the Israelites had been allowed to go back to the promised land. So between chapter 9, in the first year of Darius, the son of Asuerus, and chapter 10, in the third year of Cyrus, the Israelites have been allowed to go back. They've gone back to rebuild, and they have walked into a booby trap. There's been a lot of conflict taking place in, back in the promised land. In fact, as I hope to show you in a moment, they've even had to stop the rebuilding of the walls. This kind of information, no doubt, has reached Daniel and is part of what has inflicted on him what we are about to read in verse 2 downwards. It is the fact that there is a real conflict taking place. Quickly, Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4. So Ezra is just before the Psalms, just before Esther, just before Nehemiah. So just going backwards, if you begin with the Psalms, okay? Let's keep going backwards. Uh, Esther, Nehemiah, and Ezra. Chapter 4 and uh, verse 5. Chapter 4 and verse 5. Let's begin from verse 4. Okay, let's begin from verse 3. <laughs> I'm tempted to say let's begin from verse 1. But the point is, I want you to capture something of the context. Okay, but chapter 3 should, I mean, verse 3 should be enough. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, you've nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, and we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, 
the king of Persia has commanded us. Okay. So remember, it is the third year of Cyrus. That's where we are. So they are now saying, Cyrus the king has commanded us. He's allowed us to come and build. So you guys who are stopping us, it's none of your business. Get out of here. Verse 4. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. Listen to this. And bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. Listen to this. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, and then we read, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And you can well understand a bit of the confusion between Cyrus and Darius here. But the point is, they were discouraged. Counselors stopped them. They frustrated their purpose. There was real conflict taking place back home. Verse 24. Verse 24. I begin reading from verse 23. Then when the copy of King Ataxes' letter was read before Rehom and Shimshai, the scribe and the associates, they went in, in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them cease. Then the work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So the work was even brought to a grinding halt. We go back to Daniel. So it is in this context that Daniel is speaking about this great conflict. Great conflict. In one sense, it was a physical conflict. They were fighting physically. They were stopping them physically from doing what they wanted to do. But in another sense, it was a spiritual battle. The reason why these people were being stopped physically, harmed physically, and so on, it was all about the rebuilding of the kingdom of God, moving God's kingdom forward. That was the real conflict that was taking place there. And friends, as we shall go on to see in the next week or two, we can apply this to ourselves because we are in a spiritual conflict. A very real spiritual conflict. And the conflict is about the kingdom of God. And it does involve the physical. People are actually being tortured and being killed because of God's kingdom. But remember, primarily, it's about the spiritual. That's what it's all about. It's about the spiritual. God's work never goes forward without attacks soon beginning. And if you're a member of Kawata Baptist Church, you should know this by now, that as we've tried to push 
the agenda of missions forward. My, 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 my. The attacks that we have suffered from is indescribable. Indescribable. Why? Because it's spiritual. It's spiritual. That's the reality that is there. You push God's agenda forward and you soon find yourself in real conflict. But let's quickly proceed. Because what we notice here is as Daniel begins to process this, he soon realizes it's not about him. It's about the king of kings and the lord of lords. And that king of kings and lord of lords, bang, he shows up. He shows up. Let's read about this. <clears throat> I'll begin from verse 2 down to verse 9. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. So he got this news, obviously, of what was happening there, and he was praying and crying to God, fasting, literally, for three weeks. And here, by the way, it is three weeks. It is three of seven days. So there, there's no doubt, there's nothing uh, apocalyptic about that. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three, seven, three sevens of days. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. Now, this was a vision. This was not a real man standing there. But all the same, let's finish the story. And the thing I want you to notice is that this is exactly the same picture that Ezekiel saw in chapter 1 of Ezekiel. It's exactly the same picture that um, Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. It's exactly the same picture that uh, the disciples saw when Jesus was transfigurated. It was exactly the same picture that Saul saw on his way to Damascus. It's exactly the same picture that John saw on the island of Patmos. So, no prize for guessing who this Daniel saw. Let's go on. I lifted up my eyes, verse 5, and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like burial, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. Exactly the same thing happened with Saul. He alone saw that vision. The men who were with him didn't see it. 
but they too had enough of whatever this experience was to leave them trembling. Verse 8, so I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, shows up. It is referred to in theology as a um, theo... Yeah, I'll remember the last part. But I'm thinking in terms of theonomy, which is not the right word here at the moment. So, it's God appearing in human form. Theophany, there it is. Thank you very much. Theophany. God appearing in human form. And um, it wasn't that Daniel was asking to see him, like it was with Moses saying, may I see you, O Lord? May I see your glory? It wasn't that. He just bang, appeared. And his appearance had exactly the same effect that it had on all these other people. Saul was too weak. For a while, he lost his sight. He was had to be carried along. Uh, he was invited, encouraged to eat something. Um, John on the island of Patmos was down as though dead with this figure that was before him. And in each case, the message is quite clear. It's not about the people. It's about me. It's about me. That's exactly what Saul was being told. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's not about these people. It's about me. In the same way with uh, John, as the people of God were being persecuted, and he went to hide on the island of Patmos, bang, this Jesus appears. As though to say, John, it's not about my people. It's about me, King of kings and Lord of lords. It's about me. That's exactly what's happening here. Jesus appears and basically saying, Daniel, this conflict, this fight is about me. It's about me. But the second thing is this. I am all-powerful. We'll see a little bit more about the lack of strength in Daniel in a few minutes. But that's what happened everywhere else. Even with respect to Saul, he said to him, Saul, you are kicking against the gods or against the pricks. In other words, you are simply hurting yourself. You are fighting God. You can't do that. That's madness. Daniel is basically being told the same thing. In his case, he's not fighting against him, but he's just being told in clear terms that you are dealing with an almighty one who can in any moment just snuff out life out of his enemies at a click of a finger. That's how powerful he is. 
And friends, you know people today speak about seeing Jesus, eh? <laughs> especially in certain circles, the charismatic circles. You know, as I was shaving this morning, Jesus came, and we had a chat at Good Morning Jesus, Good Morning John. You know, and so uh, now, if he appears. That shaving machine will fly out of your hands. Or else you hurt yourself somewhere. When he appears, in all these examples, he leaves people in fear, lacking strength, and worshiping. 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 All that we might realize, brethren, in the conflict that's taking place, even today, in the church's context, it's not about us. Uh-uh. We'll soon be gone. It's about the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is on his throne, and he can extinguish his enemies at a click of his finger. The way Martin Luther puts him, Lord Sabaoth is his name. From age to age, the same. Are we conscious of that? Concerning his church, that we are dealing with him who is the creator of the rolling spheres, the entire universe. God himself is in charge of history, and he is jealous about his church. Well, brethren, let's hurry on, because uh, what happens after this is uh, that this being disappears. That's all. He just showed up, and that's it. As we enter into verse 10, we are told, and behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and said, uh, hands and knees, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. Now may I suggest to you that this is not the man he has just been looking at. It's not the man. This is the man or the angel who had said exactly these words. Remember, O oh Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. Let's go to chapter 9 and verse 22. Chapter 9 verse 22. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh Daniel, I have now come to you to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. There it is, greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. In other words, it's Gabriel again. It's Gabriel. He's been sent to him to help out. 
What does Daniel do? Well, basically, in the rest of this chapter, and I'll quickly summarize it, we are given a view of spiritual realities that we don't normally see. And it's about the spiritual forces, the angelic beings that are busy in the heavenlies at the command of God. I'm not sure that we have any other part of Holy Scripture that reveals that part like this part we are looking at. I'm not sure. So let's quickly read it and see what's happening here. Let's quickly read it. Uh, let's begin from um, verse 11. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. Remember he said earlier that I have been sent to you. For now I have been sent to you. That's somewhere in the middle of verse 11. So he said, I've come because of your words. You were praying, and as you were speaking to God, immediately he sent me to you with an answer. But listen to this. The prince, verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Now, whoever this prince of the kingdom of Persia is, must have been an angelic being. It's not a human being that's sort of on earth, and then somehow he's fighting angel Gabriel. That's obviously not the case. It must have been another angelic being that is being referred to as the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Why he is called by that name could be that he was an angelic being that was specifically hovering around Persia and influencing what was happening there. So as angel Gabriel is coming, he is prevented from going further. There is this conflict that is taking place. He goes on to say, but Michael, that's another angel, by the way, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and he came to make you, un rather, and came to make you understand what is, what is to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision is for days yet to come. So, there are these forces that are fighting, let's call them bad forces, that are fighting good forces. And it's in the heavenlies. That's why 
I've entitled my sermon, Spiritual Forces in the Heavenlies. Spiritual Forces in the Heavenlies. He goes on to say, When he has spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face to the ground and was mute. Now this is where he's being strengthened again. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant speak with my Lord? In other words, with me. And now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O oh man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. And <laughs> that's really introducing yet another angelic being. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There's none who contends by my side against these which are bad angelic beings except Michael, your prince. In other words, the prince who is over Israel. Over Israel, your prince. Michael, this is the first time that he is mentioned and is mentioned twice in this chapter. He's mentioned again in chapter 12, verse 1. We will get there later. He's mentioned in Jude and verse 9, and he is mentioned again in Revelation 12 and verse 7. Again, these are real beings. This is not parabolic language. It is not figurative language. This is referring to very real beings. Some are good, others are bad angels. And there's no doubt that they have some kind of indirect influence on human affairs. The closest we get to a New Testament reference to this is Ephesians chapter 6. Let's quickly read there. Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> verse 10. Ephesians the 6 and verse 10. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil there is real. He's very real. 
He is an angelic being. Let's go on. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, in other words, against mere human beings, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Those are the ones we are wrestling against. It's a real conflict that's taking place there. A very real conflict. Now, just two quick points and I hurry on to close. First of all, these beings are there. It doesn't mean that we participate in fighting with them by loosing and binding. There's nothing in this text, there's nothing wherever these angelic beings are being referred to that suggest that you should now go into a prayer meeting and, you know, we bind this evil spirit and we, we bind the spirit of lust and we bind the spirit of greed and we bind the spirit of confusion in the church and we bind this spirit. Uh-uh, there's nothing there. In fact, the passage that speaks about binding and loosing speaks about church discipline. That's what it speaks about. You bind someone when you kick him out of church. You lose him when you bring him back in. How do we participate in fighting against these forces? Well, it's there in Ephesians. And it is this. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It is when... We seek to live for Christ and we seek to live for him in his strength. That's how we participate in the fight. It's not gymnastics that are being done in a prayer meeting. No. Read it. The armor of God there is about truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace and faith and salvation, the spirit of God, the word of God, and praying in the spirit with all prayers and supplications. And in case you want to know what that is all about, it says making supplication for all the saints. So you're praying for Christians. It's not that you are facing the devil now and saying, I'm binding you, no, no. You are praying for believers. In fact, Paul even says at the end there, pray also for me, that words may be given to me, that I may proclaim the gospel with boldness. Exactly what Daniel was doing here as he was praying to the Lord. That's how we participate. The important thing I want us to underscore as I hurry on to close is we participate when we are the beloved of the Lord. The beloved of the Lord. That phrase appears three times, isn't it? It appears, first of all, when Gabriel spoke to Daniel in chapter 9. 
halfway through verse 23, for you are greatly loved. You are greatly loved. We see it again in verse 11. Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Greatly loved. We see it again in verse 19. Verse 19. And he said, oh, man greatly loved. Greatly loved. The actual word there also includes the sense of being esteemed, being greatly honored by the Lord. In other words, being a man or woman who in genuine sincerity you are walking with God, in genuine sincerity, in holiness, in genuine godliness, you are on the side of God. That's how you participate in the midst of these spiritual realities where God is sending his angels and those angels are in warfare with demonic forces, with bad angels in the heavenlies. And you are seeking to be a man or woman of God. Is that what you are today? Putting it another way, are you a Daniel? Are you? Are you a Daniel? From the side of heaven, are you esteemed, highly esteemed? Are you greatly beloved? Are you on the Lord's side? This entire chapter is captured for us in the hymn we sang earlier, which I'd like us to conclude our service with. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. In other words, there's a real conflict, mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe, the devil, that was spoken about in Ephesians, seeks to wake us war, to destroy us. His craft and power are great, is a real angelic being, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. We can't fight him as human beings in our own strength. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side. We saw him at the beginning of chapter 10 of Daniel. The man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, suffer off his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. He will win. It's a matter of time. And though this world with devils filled, in other words, these angelic beings, these bad angelic beings, these demons, though this world be filled with them and they should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. No, we will not fear. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim we tremble not for him. His rage 
we can endure. His doom is sure. One little word from him will fail him. It's not us. It is God's own word that will finally triumph. And he ends by saying that word above all earthly powers and no thanks to them it still continues to the present day, saving us, sanctifying us, making the church march on. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him whom we saw in Daniel 10, who sides with us. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. Yes. Physically, yes, they can come in here with a bomb and wipe us all out. God's truth will still march on. His kingdom is forever. There is a real conflict, a real battle. And may it be true, as we were singing earlier on, that we are on the Lord's side. Savior, we are thine. Let's pray. Eternal and gracious God, even as we contemplated at the beginning of this sermon the disaster upon disaster Upon disaster, upon disaster that came upon us in our missions work in the same province, we see the reason why there is a real conflict. Yet we thank you that it's not about us. It's about your son, the Lord Jesus Christ who has said, I will build my church. And therefore, even when false brethren have fallen by the wayside, and even those who are true have had to retire from the field, you are not biting your nails, O oh Lord, want, wanting to know what might happen you are still building your church. And Lord, we too have known something of this conflict when the malice of men has been like deadly arrows shot at us as we've been engaged in in the extension of your kingdom. Sometimes by those who ought to be allies. Oh God, all we can do again is lift our eyes away from ourselves and realize it's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ and he will build his church. Help us to go out of this meeting 
today with renewed vision, renewed strength, a renewed faith that yes, there is a bloody battle taking place right now. Bloody in the sense that there is real hatred, there is real malice in the heavenlies. But help us to go out there knowing that the right man is on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Help us not to tremble, but to rejoice and to speak and preach and share your word knowing that it will achieve its victory, that it is the sword of the Spirit. Thank you for Daniel, and thank you for what we learn from this chapter. In Jesus' name, amen.